before your throne, that it would be sweet and well-pleasing to you, Lord, as we give our thanks and our praise unto you, God. I praise you, God, and I bless you, Lord, and I glorify you. I pray that you would draw our hearts to worship you today with the choir and the orchestra and the anointed music, Lord. I just pray that you would help us to truly worship, to truly worship. May our hearts be open to your word. I pray for every class, every Sunday school teacher, Lord, that you would anoint each and every one, that you will bring forth your word with glory and with power and with might, Father, and that it will accomplish what you have intended for it to accomplish in each and every saint of God in this building. Father, I pray in Jesus' name you'll bless the the service today and the preaching of the word, that it will go forth, Lord, with power and with might, that our pastor will be anointed of the Lord, led by the Spirit of God to deliver what you've put in his heart for this day and for this hour. Father, I just give you the praise and the honor and the glory. We bless you, Lord. We know what's going on in our nation is very serious and very important. And you have remembered our children and our grandchildren and opened up a seat for them. Now, God, there's much opposition, but you are the sovereign Lord who rules over all the kingdoms of the earth. And we beseech you, God, in your mercy to act on our behalf. We beseech you, Father, to cause all opposition against your will to be ceased and to desist in Jesus' name. And we pray that you will see to it that your will is done in this and every matter concerning our nation. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Well, welcome today, everyone. Hallelujah. It's good to be with y'all again. I'm concluding today with this uh, short series that we've been doing about the baptism of Jesus. And we looked at it for the last couple of weeks. And we saw in the first week how it does, the, the main purpose that we generally identify is very valid. It does um, act as an example of cleansing from leprosy or impurities of any kind. It correlates with what they taught in the Old Testament about the mikvah bath. We've been seeing it as a mikvah bath and understanding that the Old Testament pattern and the types uh, and shadows in the Old Testament are now revealed in Christ and his baptism and how he did it as our example as well. Last week, we saw it as a consecration and a separation offering from, uh, from all other loves and unto Christ and to loving him as our groom. The bride and the groom in the um, ancient Jewish wedding ceremonies would undergo a separate mikvah bath as a consecration. And what they were saying was that I, I um, renounce and separate myself now from all other loves and keep myself only for you. And so it was, a, it was a way for the bride and groom to declare that consecration and that separation to one another. Tonight I want to look at, or today I want to look at the third reason and the third uh, important element in the baptism of Jesus Christ. And that is that it served and it was required as a consecration to serve as priests. Now... <clears throat> This is very important when it comes to Christ and understanding why he underwent baptism and all of the details about it. And you will see by the end of this lesson that nothing was missed from the Old Testament and nothing was by accident in terms of Christ's baptism. 
The Old Testament required certain things be done when a priest was going to begin serving in his priesthood. It was a consecration. They're all outlined in chapter 29 of Exodus, and I'm going to begin reading with the first few verses of that chapter. In chapter 29 of Exodus, it says this, beginning in verse 1, And this is what you shall do to them, to hallow or separate them, consecrate them from ministering to me as priests. And he talks about the animals and things that have to be done. Take one young bull, two rams without blemish, and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers anointed with oil. You shall make them of wheat flour. You shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket with the bull and the two rams. And Aaron and his sons you shall bring to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and you shall wash them with water. And I can stop right there. It goes on and it details all the rest of all this that has to be done to consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve as priests before the Lord. But this washing with water is the mikvah bath. It was required for them to undergo that. And uh, this was done prior to fulfilling the rest of this service. Now, in this chapter, also, if you go on reading, you'll notice that, that the requirement is that the priesthood was Aaron's for a perpetual statute. So in this, Aaron is serving as a type of Christ who would come later and would be our great high priest, according to the New Testament. So I want to focus on this as a consecration, cleansing, or a rite of passage into priesthood. Now, why would this matter to us in looking at Christ's baptism? Let's turn over to the book of Hebrews. <clears throat> And I'm going to read several different verses out of the book of Hebrews. But we're going to begin in Hebrews chapter 2. And I want to read verse 17 first. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. Speaking of Jesus, it says, Therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest, in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Again, in Hebrews 3.1, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. There, Christ is specifically named as our high priest. In Hebrews 4, verses 14 and 15, uh, same type of thing. It says, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. In Hebrews 5, verses 1 through 10, it speaks of this. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in all things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. Because of this, he is required as for people, so also for himself to offer sacrifices for sins. 
And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, you are priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So we go on and we read there, here again, it's speaking of Christ and his being appointed by God to be high priest. Remember, the Old Testament pattern had the high priest and the priesthood to be an eternal statute. It was a picture of the coming high priest, Christ, who would um, have this eternal statute applied to him and who would be priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews 6.20 says that, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. In Hebrews chapter 7, it speaks more of this Old Testament type and pattern that we saw in the life of Melchizedek. And Christ is after his order, but superior to it. Several months ago, we did, um, I, I went over in this class with you the priesthoods in Scripture, and there's basically three that are listed throughout Scripture. The first one was the priesthood of Melchizedek. We see it in Genesis chapter 14. Second one was the priesthood of Aaron in the Levitical system in the, the Torah, in the Old Testament, in Moses' books. And the third one is the priesthood of Christ, which is the superior priesthood. So we see him as our high priest in Hebrews chapter 8, let's read Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. Now this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, is minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. So we're seeing this pattern all through the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is the bridge between the Old Testament and the New. It explains everything from the Old Testament and correlates it to the New and shows the fulfillment of it in the New Testament. Hebrews is that book that will do that. In Hebrews 9, 11 through 15, you can see here again, Christ our high priest is clearly stated. Notice in this passage too that he speaks of the washing of our consciences because we have been cleansed by the blood of Christ and washed in his blood. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago in the idea of baptism. In Hebrews 9, 23 through 26, we see how Christ, our high priest, died once to put away sin forever. The Levitical system had the high priest offering sacrifices over and over. The priests would offer these sacrifices because they could not fully atone for sin. And yet Christ, who came as the great high priest, has died one time and put away all sin forever. So we see that, and the biggest picture of that is shown to us in the book of Hebrews. So God clearly confirms for us Christ's superior priesthood to the priesthood of Aaron and even the priesthood of Melchizedek. It is fulfilled in Christ. So Christ came to serve as priest before God. Yet we have to remember that during the course of Christ's earthly life until he died, the Old Testament law was still in effect. His death is what freed us from the demands of that law. But prior to his death, 
He had to fulfill every demand of that Old Testament. He even said that when he came to John the Baptist. He said, we must fulfill all righteousness, did he not? He said he had to fulfill everything. In order for him to be the sinless, guiltless Lamb of God that could die for the sin of all the world and be the perfect sacrifice, he had to meet every point. And he could not miss anything that the Old Testament demanded. So in order for him to serve in the priestly function, there was a water immersion that he had to undergo. And this is another reason that he partook of water baptism under John. Now, I want to consider as we end this, why and when these things were important. Why are they significant for us to understand about Jesus Christ, our high priest? First, let's look at the when. When did this happen? In Luke chapter 3, beginning in verse 21, I'd like to read a few verses. When all the people were baptized... It came to pass that Jesus also was baptized, and while he prayed, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Go into verse 23. Now Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age, and then it goes on and it says, Being as supposed the son of Joseph, son of Helah. All right, so Jesus was about 30 years old when he came to John, to be baptized of John. If you'll remember, he was about 12 the last time we saw him when he, was, when he was in the temple talking with the scholars and all of that, amazing the scholars, with Joseph and Mary having to find him. And then he went back home with them. We don't hear another word about him or about any of them until he turns 30 years old. So there's 18 we might call silent years. He was apparently growing up, apparently at some point in time during those 18 years, Joseph died. We don't know anything about Joseph. We don't know what caused his death. We don't know any of those circumstances. But he is nowhere to be found anywhere else in Scripture after Jesus is 12 years old. So apparently he has died. And Jesus has had no formal ministry up to this point. There's a reason for that. In Numbers chapter 4, in Numbers chapter 4, there's several verses that say this, but I'm going to read a few of them. Verse 1 says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Take a census of the sons of Kohath, which were some of the sons of Levi, from among the children of Levi, by their families, by their fathers' houses, from 30 years old and above, even to 50 years old, all who enter the service to do this work in the tabernacle of meeting. Now you can go through and you can read all of the book of Numbers and you will see this pattern through all of the, the Kohathites, the Merimites, the Merorites, and the, um, uh, the other son that was a Levite as well. So all of the Levites had to be 30 years old and above to be able to serve in the priesthood. It says this again in verse 34. And Moses, Aaron, and the leaders of the congregation numbered the sons of the Kohathites by their families and by their father's house from 30 years and above, even to 50 years. Everyone who entered the service for work in the tabernacle of meeting. 
So if you go through and you read the book of Numbers, chapter 4, you will see in there over and over with every single part of the family of Levi, they had to be 30 years old or above to be able to serve as priests. Jesus knew this. So he didn't come to John until he was 30 years old because he couldn't serve as priesthood until he was 30 years old. That was the way God set up the pattern. So now... We know why he came when he came. Let's talk about why did he come to John to begin with. All right? Even John apparently didn't know. Because John recognized him. But John couldn't figure out, why are you coming to me? I need to be baptized of you. Because John knew him to be the Christ, the Messiah. John knew he was the greater one. He even said, there's one coming. I'm not worthy to even unloose his his sandal straps. So John was taken by surprise. But first of all, to understand Christ's baptism by John, we need to understand who John is. And then what was John all about? So who is John? In Luke chapter 1, we're all familiar, very familiar with this story. And there's so much in here that I'd love to get into, but maybe we'll do it at Christmas time or something. But in John chapter 1, I want to read several verses here. Beginning in verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. And so it was that while he was serving as priest before God, in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth." For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He shall also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him, speaking of Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So here we see the prophetic word given to Zacharias about he and Elizabeth, that they will have the son named John. So this is who John is. Remember, Zacharias was a priest, meaning he was a direct descendant of Aaron. He was serving in the priesthood. His wife Elizabeth was also of the daughters of Aaron. And I want to focus on his lineage, John's lineage. With his dad being the priest of the Levitical line directly from Aaron, he may 
he may have been the true high priest as far as appointment by God. He was not serving as high priest because the Romans had taken over and appointed Annas and Caiaphas to serve as high priest. But that was not God's choice, and it was not according to God's divine order. God's order was only that sons of Aaron could serve as priests in the Levitical priesthood. So God's true priest was through this line with Zacharias. So it could be that God's priest was the one who came in camel's hair in the wilderness down by the Jordan River preaching repentance and baptizing people. John was a priest directly descended from Aaron, but he was not able to serve in the actual temple which was under Roman control. So he was still performing what God had called him to do. You read in other places in the Bible, and I think it may be even in Luke, um, Luke chapter 3, where the Spirit of God spoke to John at the right time and told him, go and start your ministry. So most likely he was about 30 years old when that happened. And so John is serving before the Lord. Let's look at Matthew chapter 3, and verse 1 through 12 gives the whole story. Beginning in verse 1, in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and honey. Then, Jer then Jerusalem, Judea, and all the region around the Jordan, went out to him and were baptized by him by, on the Jordan, confessing their sins. And then he sees the Pharisees, and he rebukes them. And he tells them in verse 8, Bring forth fruit worthy of repentance, and do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And then he goes on, and he talks about how the axe is laid at the root of the tree, and God's uh, winnowing fan is in his hand. And he speaks about how they need to repent before the Lord. So John is serving as priest by the Jordan River. And he's preaching the baptism of repentance. He's doing what God has called him to do. He is the forerunner, and he knows he is the forerunner to Jesus Christ. John knew he, who he was, but he also knew who he was not. He was not the Messiah. He was the forerunner for him. And if you remember, John was only about six months older than Jesus was. So John is baptizing shortly before Jesus comes on the scene. So Jesus comes to John, surprises John, because John knows who he is. There's a family connection between the two of them, but there's also a spiritual connection. Because John knew he was the forerunner because of his daddy's prophecy at his birth, and apparently his mama and his daddy taught him his life scripture, and he knew it well. He knew that that scripture from Isaiah was his life scripture, and he was to be the one that was going before the Messiah, preparing the way for him. We're unsure if there was ever any family visits between the two of them. We don't know. We're not told specifically in scripture. However, we do know that 
both families were Jewish and observed the traditions and, the, and they honored the Lord, so they would have all come to Jerusalem for all the pilgrimage feasts, for sure. And Zacharias, I'm sure, continued to serve, perhaps even in the temple, for the rest of his time period. I don't know. We don't know how old he was when he died. We don't know anything about that. But we do know that he was old when he had John. John recognizes Jesus as soon as he comes, and he almost refuses to baptize him. But Jesus calms him with these words. We must fulfill all righteousness. Everything in line with Scripture had to be done. It's okay, John. We're fulfilling what God's Word demands. But why John? Let's consider him as the last of the Levitical line. That doesn't mean he's the only one that was alive that was a true son of Aaron. I'm not saying that. There are still some today that are descended from Aaron. They are finding them through DNA tests, and they are preparing them to serve as priests in the coming temple that will be in the time of the tribulation. But he was the last of the Levitical line in this case that Jesus needed to come to. Annas and Caiaphas were not God's appointments. They were the Romans' appointments. God's scriptural line of priests came from Aaron. Christ was born of Mary and Joseph, and they were of the tribe of Judah, not of the tribe of Levi. So how could Christ become a priest, ordained and consecrated to serve as priest when only sons of Aaron could serve as priests. There was a Levitical line that God established back in the Old Testament. He established the line of Aaron's sons only to serve as priests under that system of priesthood, which was, according to Hebrews, a type and foreshadow of the coming priesthood that would be superior to that one. Prior to the Levitical priesthood, we see the priesthood of Melchizedek in Genesis 14. That was the very first priesthood that is listed in Scripture. Then came the Levitical line. The Levitical priesthood uh, represented a substitutionary priesthood. They offered substitutionary sacrifices on our behalf for our sins. But they were all pointing to Jesus Christ as the fulfillment. Christ's priesthood is the third priesthood, according to Psalm 110, verse 4. And it is the forever priesthood. In Psalm 110, verse 4, it says, The Lord has sworn and will not relent. In other words, it's said by God, it's never going to change. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek and that's repeated in Hebrews chapter 7. So God's appointment ultimately to fulfill all priesthood and serve him as priest is Jesus Christ who is priest forever after the order of the line of Melchizedek. We are also considered priest under God unto God according to 1 Peter 2 9 but we are under the priesthood of Christ, who is priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Old Testament ends with Aaron's established line, 
which is continued into the New Testament with Zacharias and John. But it necessitates for Christ to serve as priesthood, there has to be a change in priesthood. Now that would make sense. God had said that only sons of Aaron could serve as priests. But yet Christ, who came from the tribe of Judah, not Levi, is to be priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So there has to be a change of priesthood. A change has to occur between these two. One has to transfer the authority and the role of priesthood to the other. This change had to be between a true priest under Levi's order to the true priest after Melchizedek's order of a line that had nothing to do with priestly service before. Judah, that line did not have anything to do with that. I want to read this passage in Hebrews 7, beginning in verse 11. It says this, Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? So in other words, verse 11 is saying, if the Levitical priesthood would have been good enough, there wouldn't have been a need for anybody else. If the lambs and the bulls and the goats could have covered sin, there wouldn't have been a need for another priesthood to arise. Verse 12, for the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. So right there, the author of the book of Hebrews is telling us that the priesthood has been changed. That word literally means transferred or exchanged. It was transferred from the tribe of Levi to Christ's under the tribe of Judah. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. So it begs the question, when was this transfer done? That's why Jesus, at 30 years old, the age that priests could serve, had to come to John. He could not have gone to anyone else. He had to come to John. No one else had God's authority to transfer the priesthood from the Levitical line to now Christ, who is priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. John was the last of that line at that time that could transfer this priesthood. God's official priest representing and serving in the Levitical priesthood could transfer that from John to Jesus, who was of the tribe of Judah, priest forever. God put his seal of approval on this transfer when he declared from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Even John made this comment 
at one point and said, I must decrease and he must increase. John recognized that there was a change. There was an exchange. There was a transfer. And John's ministry was decreasing. Christ's ministry was beginning and was occurring. John's priestly service was coming to an end. And Jesus' ministry was now beginning in full. Christ's baptism was also his consecration to serve as high priest forever. And he did it in complete obedience to Old Testament demands. Not one point was missed. Not one thing was done out of order or out of what God's word had said. And the priesthood was transferred from the priesthood of Levi to the priesthood of Christ, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, after the order of Melchizedek, priest forever. So I want to bring out lastly in this point, we see what, how powerful Christ's baptism was. But it's also a pattern for us. Because we are called by Peter in 1 Peter 2.9, a royal priesthood. We serve as priests of the Most High God by obeying him, by following his calling on our lives. And so I want to leave you with this one last element to consider your baptism, my baptism, our baptism today, water immersion, also as a consecration for priestly service. Our priesthood falls under the priesthood of Christ, but we too are his ministers whether you're ordained or not, it doesn't matter. We're all priests. We all serve in God's house. And we can undergo water baptism with that understanding. And that may be a reason for being baptized again, afresh, for a new reason, for a new purpose. When we first get saved, we get water baptized as a public declaration of what God has done in our heart through the blood of Jesus washing us from our sins. But at subsequent times, we can be rebaptized as a consecration, saying, first of all, as his bride, you're my groom. I separate myself from all other loves of this world, only for you. And also, as we saw in this, I consecrate myself, Jesus, because you've called me as a royal priesthood to serve you as priest. And so I consecrate, I undergo this as a consecration, devoting myself to your service, to separate myself into the priesthood and to serve the living God. So Christ's baptism is very powerful. We understand a small portion of it. And I hope through this study that you've come to see more of the depths of what his baptism was all about, why he did it when he did it, why he went to John the Baptist and no one else, and what the significance of that was because he is priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We don't have to sacrifice bulls and lambs and goats ever again because our priest offered the sacrifice of himself once for all. And his blood still washes away sins today. 
and saves people today. As we just saw last week when Brother Don came back from his trip and he shared the news about so many that were born again. God is still saving today. Praise God, his blood is still washing away sins. And so I encourage you to consider these elements of baptism. It may be that God might instruct you. I remember when uh, I went through MIP in that program, and I remember undergoing baptism up there in the balcony, and Pastor baptized me again. As I was beginning my ministry, it was, an, it was a fresh consecration work as I was beginning to serve in a new level in my ministry. And so it was very special to me. I appreciate that, and I'll never forget it. It may be that you might want to consider being rebaptized for some of these reasons that we've discussed. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that you will take this word, that you will use it mightily, that you will cause it to take root in the heart of your people. And God, that you will accomplish in each and every one of us that which you desire for our lives, that we will separate ourselves from all other loves, and we will serve you. We will serve you as priest in your priesthood, that we will use our talents and our skills and our gifts to serve our great high priest who is ever living to intercede on our behalf. Thank you, Jesus, for the one-time sacrifice of your own blood that covers all sin for eternity. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, bless your people today. And we give you the rest of this service. May you have your way and your spirit be welcome. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.